What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Bitcoin! Hello everyone, welcome back to On The Ledger. This is your host, Mohd Saeed, and I'm back once again on your weekly rendezvous from Paris. It's been a while. I was actually away on holidays for a few weeks to enjoy some much-needed family time, but now I'm back and ready to rumble for Ledger Open Paris 2022. This one's going to be quite a big one for us here at Ledger. I cannot exactly tell you why, but I really hope that you will be able to join us in Paris at La Gaité de Hague on the 6th and 7th of December for an eventful couple of days, including major product announcements, panels, networking events, and more. So you can RSVP at ledgeropen.com. But before that, we have a very special guest on the show to get you all warmed up. One that I'm generally excited about. He's a serial web entrepreneur and an early stage investor in companies such as Twitter, Facebook, and Square, to name a few. Today, he's considered to be one of the leading voices in Web3, co-founder and CEO of Proof, and a partner at True Ventures. You might have guessed it already. This time, we have Kevin Rose on the show. In discussion with a man you surely know by now, Ian Rogers, Ledger's Chief Experience Officer. Together, they'll talk about the evolution of Web3 through the lens of Proof and discuss its adoption, innovative business model, venture capital, and of course, generative art. Enjoy. Kevin, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I, I was when I was uh, with you on Proof. I was like, I really want to get you on the Ledger podcast. So I'm glad we did it. Thank you. I'm, I'm just to you know break the ice at the beginning. I'm going to ask you a question that'll probably your answer will probably make me cry, but I, I really want to know how was Marfa? Oh man, Marfa was great. It uh, for those that don't know, Marfa, Texas, little tiny town, middle of nowhere, um, just really. It's turned into this annual spot where Art Blocks has a gathering, and all the artists come out. Everyone hangs out, and it's uh, early South by Southwest vibes. So, you know, uh, two years ago it was I'd say a couple hundred people, and the nice thing is they have a bunch of little surrounding bars and little hangout areas and places to eat where you can easily accommodate that many people. And so, you know, everybody gets to bump into everyone. You know. You're walking around and just chatting with Tyler Hobbs or Snowfro or all of your favorite generative artists are out there, right? And uh, this year, it probably I'd say it doubled in size, but um, just absolutely fantastic having so many great artists all in one spot. And the town has like evolved a bit. Um, Collab Currency, uh, Derek Edwards over there opened up an art gallery called Glitch which is all uh, about NFT art, and that was fantastic. Uh, Tom Sachs was out there. Just a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's it, it's a trek, like meaning the closest airport you fly into uh, El Paso, and then it's a three-ish hour drive from there. So it kind of weeds out a lot of people that really don't truly believe in generative art or really want to be there. So everyone says just like there to – to really explore art and culture and, and chat and have a good time. So you've Man, got, you've got I, to come next year. I really, really wanted to be there. And uh, it was just one of those things where I needed to be with like family and work at that moment. And I was, we were already doing travel for family and travel for press and everything else. Cause we've got this big, big announcement coming up for, for ledger at the beginning of December. So, but man, I was getting texts from people that were like, this is the happy place. And well, I think that, 
you know, you guys were there, like it was like FTX meltdown weekend and you guys yeah. had a very different experience, no? Yeah. I mean, th that came up a, a bit. Um, you know, I was on a podcast and people were asking me like, you know, how do you feel about it? And I said, at this point, I don't know what else can fail. Like, I think we're good. Like everything that has failed will fail. Like, I, other than like Tether or something, I, I just, and I'm knocking on wood at the same time, but I, I just don't know what else is left, you know? It's well, and, but, and I guess my point was like, you guys were out there with, to me, what feels like the good vibes, the good future, yeah. the, the sort of the, um, you know, just what's real in the space and then, you know, what's fake in the space, right? The things that look like the traditional banking system were like simultaneously failing. So it, it just, I love the dichotomy of right. this small group of people in, in Marfa while, you know, the, the cover of The Economist says, you know, crypto's downfall or whatever it is, right? Oh, you missed the bright moments of it in Mexico City, which is right after that. That was fantastic. Really that was wanted... also another one that, uh, I mean... I know you would have died to have been there, like the food and just the culture. And it was Snowfro's second uh, drop or the, was the generative drop. Um, just very, very cool. No, I, I, I made it to Bright Moments in Berlin and it was, you know, all time. I really wanted to be there. And man, so anyway, well, I, I, you know, for those who, who don't know you, um, you know, Mo gave a bit of an intro, but, you know, I'm, I guess, you know, like I said in the text, I want to I want to just like dive into some of the stuff that people can't get elsewhere. Um Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like you kind of had this dive where you were, you know, crypto curious, and so you you started, you know, diving in with modern finance, and then you you found you sort of bumped into the world of NFTs and went, oh wait a minute, this is sweet spot for me. That, that's like super, you know, similar to, to my path, which is being kind of first nerd curious and then going, right. oh wait a minute, this is going to change culture. So I mean, did you have you totally flipped from kind of modern finance to proof in your mental space? Yeah, I mean, Modern Finance, the podcast started off in kind of DeFi summerish area uh, of time where it was really excited to talk about all things DeFi. And, you know, I was aware of NFTs because of, it was just CryptoPunks. Like I, I'd minted 10 original CryptoPunks when they first, first came out. And I thought, I mean, I literally lost the wallet. I didn't, I thought they were worth nothing. I thought it was like, these are cute little pixelated things. Like nobody had any idea they're going to be worth anything, like pretty much everything in crypto, right? And then um, and then I woke back up and, and several people were being like, NFTs or NFTs, NFTs. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I went and I checked out and I, I just saw there was this whole, you know, Artblocks had just launched and there was this whole new movement. And it just felt, um, I don't know, there was something about how fresh it felt and how much tooling had been built up around it. And then it, it just it, it clicked to me at that point in time. I went on Super Rare and I started seeing some of the unique artists that were dropping pieces, and I fell in love with X Copy. And I was like, "Wow, this is this has legs this time around." And so I got really pumped and just went all in and launched the podcast Proof. And and then so what's the transition then from you know Proof the podcast to Proof the collective? Yeah, so Proof the podcast was you know just gaining a ton of people because when anything is hot in crypto they want to learn more about it and so it was just building up a, a pretty massive audience and when that got big enough eventually I said okay I want to create some subset of this audience that is going to be the most hardcore collectors um and and just really have a private place for them I didn't want to open up a just a massive public discord I want to do something a little bit more intimate um and the idea was okay let's just launch a little NFT that would represent your pass um, and just call it the Proof Collective Pass. And we did that with a thousand, um, started a Dutch auction on that, it sold out at one ETH. 
And it just kind of started growing from there. And then I started working with a lot of the artists that I'd had on the show to do collaborations with, to do unique limited drops with, um, and then launched a product called Grails, which was really to really put the focus back on art and allow people to pick uh, a piece of artwork before they know who the artist is and kind of reveal that after the fact. And so it, it's been, it's been a, a, now a year, coming up on a year now, of, of just building out a bunch of great products for serious collectors. Yeah, I mean, just as a as a member, it's been like indispensable for me, like the community there and, and the people I've met through it. And there's just, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things about it for me. It reminds me of like the pre-web internet in so many ways in terms of like it's, um, you know, a small group of highly intelligent people, which is what Usenet felt like in, in you know, 1992, who were, you know, passionate about the future, not like doubtful mm -hmm. about the future, like hopeful about the future. But I think it's interesting when you say that, cause it sounds like it was, you know, all kind of, you know, accidental or happenstance, but what it looks like to me, and I'm curious how much of this is, is true, not true, intentional, unintentional, but like you've been an entrepreneur, you've been a VC. It feels to me like you've just capitalized a company with a community instead of a group of investors, right? So, you know, if, if we, if you and I started a startup and we raised some money, well, now we've got a couple of people, probably a lead investor and a couple of other people, right, who are our constituency that want that want return. But now you've just, you know, you've raised a bunch of capital for, you know, Proof Collective, Moonbirds, and anything you create after that. But your your constituency is way different. Instead of being you know, uh, Andreessen Horowitz or Sequoia or, or whomever, your constituency is this community, right? I mean, how much of that is like real? You know, do you feel like you've capitalized a company by doing, an, you know, an, an NFT release or NFT releases, um, you know, and, and like, do you think that's like a, a new way to make startups happen? Is it, mm. you know, was it, did it just happen? Was it intentional? I think a lot of this stuff um, I always have in the back of my head, if I start building an audience around it, it, there is a point where if it tips and becomes large enough, it can turn into a real business. So, um, and it'll be something that I'm excited to continue to build because I'm personally passionate about it. And so the, I could, probably the best example prior to this was an app I created called Zero, which was an intermittent fasting app. And I just wanted something initially to track my fast. And, and, and it started growing, got hundreds of thousands of users, and then eventually, you know, for a million monthly users. And, the, and I was like, okay, now's the time to actually properly capitalize it and turn it into a real business. And now Tom Conrad's off running that as CEO and doing a, a much, much better job than I could. And, and so that the idea there is really just start with something where the stakes are low, play, learn, ideate, iterate on what you're doing. And then if, if, if there's momentum and you continue to see kind of consistent week over week, month over month growth, then figure out a way to capitalize it. And traditionally, you're right, that has been via VC. Um, with proof, you're, the, the initial NFT sales would have funded the, and the su subsequent um, royalty sales would have funded the collective with a small team, right? Like three or four people, we could have done that easily uh, for the because we, we set the badge uh, term to be the proof collective um, uh, term to be three years until it expires. So yeah, that was the plan. Um, but then, honestly, the nice thing about having raised that money is we were in, not in a position of needing capital, but uh, taking really opportunistic capital, which is the best kind, that the kind when you can control the terms, right? So. When we eventually did end up raising from Andreessen Horowitz, and it was largely because, I mean, they just have such a crazy deep bench of people that can help out on a whole slew of different fronts. 
um, mostly around all the compliance and regulatory stuff that you have to do as you explore different uh, avenues uh, of cryptocurrency. But um, the, the, then, you know, you get to do things like say, I don't want any board seats, right? And I, I yeah. want... I want to contain, uh, maintain control in all possible scenarios. And there's, so yes, I, I think there's, there, there is, there's, there's two ways to do it now. There's a, there's, you can just do it straight by NFT sales funding it. And hopefully if we figure out the royalties thing, uh, a long term, that can be a sustainable way for people to have recurring revenue for these businesses that are NFT funded. Um, but I, I like the hybrid approach because honestly, being an entrepreneur, as, as you know, it can be a little bit of a lonely space. And so to have support and structure and others that you can pick up the phone and call and we're all still learning together. Um, I do like uh, having high quality VCs around the table. Right. And, and what do you think, like, you know, when you think about um, who you're serving, you know, how much, I mean, I think one of the things you told me once upon a time is that when you were started hiring, you kind of over-indexed on, on community support, you know, knowing that, your community was going to be a really important part of your business. That's, that's pretty unusual for, for a startup, you know, you, you, you kind of get there and sure you have community, but community is, is sort of separate from your core business. Right. But for you, it's, it is, it seems like a core part of your business. Like how is community a core part of your business in a, in a way that it, it wouldn't be, you know, zero or dig, or I mean, dig is, I guess, all community actually. So maybe that's the, 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 the a bad example. Yeah. I, well, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I had a, a conversation with with the founding team of the Board Apes about this, and and they were talking about how much we engage with our community versus what what their kind of strategy is, where they just they build a lot, they do big announcements, they tweet every once in a while, but they don't do the things that we do in terms of like weekly hangouts and you know the the kind of radical transparency, you know, week by week, and I I don't know that there is. A right answer here because I've, I've always tended to lean into community and want to support it. And so what we did is like, you're right, we did hire full-time people when everyone else was just saying, hey, our community moderators are, are part-time or they're volunteers or things like that. And we, we, we thought, and we still believe this, that it's important to have a consistent tone and message and support infrastructure. Like you can literally, if you have a proof collective pass and you have an issue, you can file a ticket with us either in Discord and you'll get a real answer back. And like that's just not the norm for NFT communities at all. And so we, we want to take some of the best learnings of Web 2 and apply them to Web 3 because you just don't throw out the entire playbook, right? But that said, the challenging thing about NFTs in general is that you have people that um, have collected these things all at different price points. And so, you know, I have people that are part of the Moonbirds ecosystem that minted them for 2.5 and they're still t stoked at, at the prices of where they are today, right? And then you have people that have minted them at or purchased them at 20 or 30 when they were really peaking during the the, the height of the the bull. And, and so everyone is in a different place and has a different set of expectations of what you should right. and shouldn't be doing. And it's really challenging um, because you're dealing with a bunch of different, typically like with Dig, if we screwed up something, you know, for those who don't know, Dig was a very early social news website. You know, at our peak, we had around 38 million monthly uniques that were using the site. And we got the message loud and clear if we screwed something up. But it was a globally applicable, like, F up. Like, it was like... Everybody, you everybody know, that, was affected equally. Yeah, exactly. Like that feature did not work. Go fix that shit, right? And so, 
that it's different with this world because everyone's sitting in, and honestly, everyone's being affected in different ways in that some people, um, when they were purchasing NFTs and collecting, they might've overextended themselves and went a little bit too far. And so yeah. they're in a different mental place. Um, so it's, it's a lot of, of different personalities and vibes that are going on that you have to wrangle, which is, which is tough. And I feel for a lot of these people, you know, it's a, it's a challenging time. Yeah. And, and it's, it's also, it's probably a super unique time, right? Like what we're experiencing now is probably, you know, we're, we're literally, you know, at the frontier when I was, when I was with Gary at, um, at VCon last year, we were like standing at the top of the arena, looking out over everything. And I was like, you know, this, I said, this, it feels like you are bringing people to America 300 years ago, right? Like it is literally the land of opportunity. Um, right. but also a lot of people are going to die, you know, <laughs> you know, right. I don't mean that literally, but you know what I mean? There's, it's like frontiers have this, um, this characteristic of being, you know, both full of opportunity and dangerous. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you are in many ways leading people to the frontier, which, um, and, and many of them will find opportunity and many of them will find danger. So it's, it's a pretty unique moment as well. I'm going to steal that analogy and use it going forward. That's a fantastic one. It makes a ton of sense. You know, let, let me ask you another thing. So um, something else I find really um, interesting about what you did, what I find, and I, I feel like I'm talking to, you know, to people, especially, you know, brands and, you know, spoke yesterday with the family of a, of a, of a very famous, uh, very well-known, one of the most well-known deceased artists. And what I find myself talking about is supply and demand. You know, there, there are still relatively few people in the space. I mean, you know, Marfa was twice as big as last year, but you know, you put the number of people who were there over 7.5 billion humans and it's a pretty, a pretty small fraction. Right. And, you know, but you've really played with supply and demand, I think in a really, in a really genius way, a thousand proof passes, 10,000 moon birds, and you kind of go out these concentric circles from there. And I put that kind of in juxtaposition to maybe doing a social token, you know, like what Trevor did with FWB. I think if Trevor was doing FWB today, it would look more like proof maybe than a, than an FWB token. I don't know that, that for right. sure, but you know, yeah. it, it feels right to me. Um, how do you think about that supply and demand mechanic as you grow the business and, and, and the product? Yeah, well, it, it is, it is challenging because, um, to, to invite more people into an ecosystem, there has to be a price point that people, um, is approachable for, for a lot of people. I mean, to ask someone to go out and spend $15,000 on a moonbird or whatever it may be is just, insanity for, for, for almost everyone. Right. So, um, but at the same time, there has to be a way that I, I guess it really comes down to, to, to what the, the product offering is, because if you're, if you're doing like a, a heavy lift product that requires a lot of staffing on the back end, and that is going to be a, a continuous, um, churn of new, you know, like, like when airdrop, like more additional value added on top of it. Um, it's with every collection that you add on top, it's, it's more, you know, for lack of a better term, it's kind of more mouths to feed, right. And more people with expectations of what your project should be delivering them. And so for me, I, I've been very careful and I want to be very thoughtful about how we expand this thing. And the way I've always thought of it is there can't be this continuous, I, I just don't think projects that promise uh, continuous utility for the rest of eternity are going to end well. Like there's, it's just, it's just not gonna, it, it's, it, it's not sustainable, right? So 
the way that we do it at Proof is, and I, I don't know, maybe there will be a better way that, that appears in the next few months, but um, we kind of do a waterfall of benefits where the Proof Collective sits at the very top and anything and everything we do, first and foremost, you know, is offered to that collection. That is the most hardcore users. It's the smallest group of users that we have at 1,000. And then let's just say, well, for example, Proof Collective does, does a lot of research reports and we put out these kind of like Forrester research level reports around NFT sectors and daily information around NFTs of these beautiful PDFs. I love those, those, by the way. Super, super helpful. I love them. Yeah, thank you. I, we're, we're they're so it's the same. <laughs> I'm glad our team's making them because they actually I learn a lot. But it, it goes those then go to the Moonbirds a few days later. Now Moonbirds are less expensive than the original pass, and then we have the Mythics that are coming online that are going to be double the size of, at twenty thousand, and. You know, I'm assuming there'll be a waterfall where the the content eventually makes it to them as well. But I, I want to be careful when we introduce new collections to say, listen, you're collecting this for less of the utility and um, more of kind of the art and community side of things. So it's easy to scale our meetups, our community-based things. It's harder to scale, hey, you know, top level artists, can you do a drop for 20,000 people, right? Like right, yeah. those things are, and then nobody even wants them anyway, because they're just not rare or scarce enough, right? Unless you did some type of raffle system. So I, I think the Moonbirds and the Proof Collective are going to be the, the those initial collections that get more of that utility. And the collections that come after it are going to be more focused on the the kind of community, the get togethers, the inner life stuff, and, and the things that we can do on, on that. And the spread of information, stuff that pieces that we can build in the business that are that are infinitely scalable it's interesting like i feel like we did a lot of this stuff in in music i was i was you know making the the joke that that you know you could look at the lincoln park fan club from 2009 and and find like most of the things that exist in in nft drops because they were doing this thing where day one was for annual um fan club members only day two mm-hmm. was uh, monthly fan club members. Day three was anyone who'd ever bought anything from the Lincoln Park online store. And then day four was public on sale. It's like, okay, there you go. Right. And then, you know, the stuff we were doing with Trent Reznor back in 2008, 2009 was, was similar. Like you could get half, you get the album for free digitally. You could get a compact disc for 15 bucks. You could buy the $30 vinyl or the $300 vinyl, right. You know, like those sort of Right. Those ways for people, whether it's because of means or because of like the level of engagement for them to self-select, you know, where they'd like to fit in it. Um, it makes sense, right? Because, you know, like with, you know when I, would, I saw it with, with the Beastie Boys in the 90s even. We would have, you know, some people that were super active in the community and some people had just like heard sabotage on MTV. You know what I mean? Right. There's this whole spectrum of, of kind of what it means. And in some ways, you're always kind of like pulling people in to that next, you know, that next level by... By, you know, just revealing more to them and like giving them more of a reason um, to participate. I think the thing that's interesting around what you're around what you're doing, though, is, you know, I love, by the way, that you that you called it proof. I think about that all the time. Proof is the right word. You know, I wish I had proof that I got that Caballero deck when I was you know 14 years old. I wish that I had proof that I saw ACDC when I was 13. I think so much of this, you know, ownership is what it is, but proof um, is, is a, is kind of what we're going for as humans. You know, it's, it's more of, of, of what it is. Um, so I think that you've got this super interesting dynamic that's different from, you know, the, the difference to me between the kind of Lincoln park and, and, you know, Trent Reznor nine Inch nails example is that 
as a Moonbirds holder, I do have kind of ownership in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I'm wondering how you think about that. Like, do you think about proof collective members, you know, Moonbirds and eventually mythics as shareholders in any way, or are they community members? Like, how is it, there's something different here and I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to conceive it. Yeah. It's, it is challenging because we do have some people that are, that, that are, they really think of themselves as, as actual kind of shareholders, but we can't legally set up a structure like that. Like at the end of the day, um, the only way that you can do this stuff and the, the way that all NFT collections do this is when you see their terms of sale, they're like, you're buying a piece of art, right? And and then like, you'll see what happens in terms of, um, you know, what you can do after the fact with it or how you can extend it or how you can interact with it. It is very much more closer to um, what you said around the, the kind of fan club side of things with, with the bands, then, you yeah. know, you don't actually own the music that the band is creating. Um, I would say it, it's, it, it's challenging, um, because the things that we do that we produce, uh, are at times going to be very limited, um, collectible things. So you're just dealing with a different type of like set of of potential drops that you give these people than you would say like a band um but i think of them very much as more than just collectors of the art the best way the best kind of analogy i have internally that i think about is they have a seat at the table so whereas when you you typically as a company you just build build design design launch something and say, hey, here it is, like, you know, Apple, here's our new iPhone. There's no input from any community member anywhere about what the next iPhone is going to do or look like, right? Um, Maybe in indirect ways. But this is like a way for them to get exposure to what's being built in real time, to help shape and mold what's being built in real time. Um, So, you know, oftentimes we'll talk about features and things before they come out. Uh, And so I see it as a more integrated um, uh, collection of people into our business in the sense that, they're almost like a special advisors in in, yeah. in some sense. Um, so they don't necessarily they don't have shares in the company. But if we do our job right, um, you know, the the underlying artwork will appreciate. I mean, it's the same idea with um, you know collecting the very first X Men comic, right? Like you hold that piece of art, and guess what? If 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 Disney launches some killer X Men movies and spreads that lore to even more and more future generations, that comic's going to go up in value as that first piece of artwork, right? And so that's kind of the the closer analogy here with NFTs. It's like if we do our job, create these cultural moments around um, the, these collections, then that underlying art will appreciate. Okay, so I want to turn to what what is the product? Like how, when you're thinking about what you're building, what what is the product? Yeah, I think there's two camps. There's the proof collective is always going to be the hardcore uh, NFT collectors. Like the just the if you look in their wallets and you know we can because we have all the tools and it's on the blockchain. I mean they own hundreds of CryptoPunks and hundreds of Bored Apes and it's like just like massive hardcore collectors and they want to know you know what should they be paying attention to what new sectors are emerging blah blah blah. We have data products for that and all that. That's e- really easy to define. Um, the Moonbirds is is a lot more around community, um, creating these cultural moments for the brand, uh, brand integrations, the ability to do very unique things that no one else can do with their NFT. So we announced something um, here just a few days ago where we put the entire Moonbirds uh, 
rendered directly from contracts on the blockchain. But furthermore, what we did is we allowed the layers of the Moonbirds, meaning like the beak has a layer, the body has a layer, the background has a layer, to, because they're CC0, they can be dynamically swapped out with other assets and other NFTs. So we can look in your wallet and say, if you own X, do this to the NFT and modify the NFT in some way. Um, so we have some really fun stuff and integrations coming on that front that create what we believe to be a more dynamic NFT that I think the world will move towards. So it's not just about buying one and having it set the way it is forever. But the, the most important piece there that is that is where a lot of collections have gotten this wrong in the past, or a few have that have done dynamic NFTs, is that we don't want to screw up the scarcity or rarity of a known NFT. So if you make these modifications, you can only do it while you're nested, which means that you can't have the NFT for sale. And if you try and sell the NFT and unnest it, you remove it from its nest, it punts out all of the modifications that you've done so it returns to its original state. And I think that's a, a, a very fun way to play with uh, this idea of these kind of dynamic NFTs. Um, there can be certain things like we do, like we do soulbound tokens uh, that can modify the NFT that were only available if you attended an event. Um, just lots of lots of fun things to play with over the next 12 months. Let, let's talk about that for just a second. I want to move on to beyond um, to, to the broader ecosystem in a second, but I want to double click on that for a second because I think the in-chain stuff and what you just said is really interesting. So how do you see this playing out like you know for for moonbirds holders you know the, so you're you're kind of inventing you know interesting ways for um for for them to further personalize in, in a way what they're what they're doing and you know for it to have some interactivity with other things you might have in your wallet etc um you're like with the nesting you've got this dynamic that says you know that really encourages people to hold for the long term which which creates value for everybody right because it um, you know, it, it means that, that they're, they're, they're over, there's more commitment from the community, right? Yeah, um, only 1% are listed, whereas most collections are like five, six plus percent of NFTs listed. Right. Because you're, it's, it's effectively a, a loyalty in, incentive, right? Right. Um, and, um, okay. So, so, so what, you know, what am I going to do with that? You know, as, as a, as a Moonbirds holder, like what, what am I going to get to do over the next, you know, uh, with that, with the kind of in-chain experience over the next few months? Yeah. Well, you're getting into stuff we haven't announced yet, but I mean, I think the best way to think about it is that, um, let's see what I, so these, we, we like the idea that, we know that people collect multiple different types of NFTs and we like the idea of being able to enable, look inside of your wallet, say, what else does this person hold? And if they hold something that's compatible with the Moonbirds uh, NFT, then we can do a modification based on that. So today, for example, if you go to my Twitter page and you look at my uh, Moonbird, it has a custom background and, and it looks way different than any of the other Moonbirds. And you're like, why does it have that? Well, that is our themed Proof Collective background, because I also have a Proof Collective Pass in my wallet. If I were to sell or move that Proof Collective Pass today from my wallet, it would automatically rip out that background from the Moonbird and turn it back to its default. And so you can imagine there are a whole slew of different collections and artists and even brands that if we work with in the right way, and we don't want to do this to where you wake up one day and there's a hundred different backgrounds to choose. And it feels like you're selecting your like iOS or Android wallpaper. Like that's not the point. The point is if you see a modified Moonbird, something special has happened. 
It's not just we're not going to sell additional, you know, body types or things like that. That's just it's only if something a unique collaboration has happened in some way. Got it. And so you'll you'll start to see emerge over the next few weeks and months these just really fun, interesting collaborations with other really well-known projects and artists that allows your Moonbird to be dynamically updated as an additional little like flex to say, hey, I also own X and you can tell because of this. Right. Right. And so it's just a it's it's a fun way to add some interactivity to to what would normally be a static uh, image and also have it be a verified collection. It doesn't screw like you can still have it be a, on a hex verified on Twitter. It doesn't it doesn't mess with it. And it's all in chain. Every bit of it, even the backgrounds, even the modifications. So it's it's really quite cool. It's uh, it's Louis Vuitton Supreme. I get it. Um, we'll the see colla- the colla- the collabo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so and and then what about what about beyond? You know, my my feeling. You know, it's interesting because you and I both kind of made, like I said at the beginning, this this journey from you know nerd to you know from the for the more of the like crypto nerd side of it to kind of the crypto culture nerd um, side. And and I feel like that you know as we look at you know certainly um, you know put your Bitcoin with a custodian and earn a bunch of yield is is over. Right. Um, it was a bad idea to begin with, and now it's been proven um, to be a, to be a bad idea. And you know, so the question is kind of what drives the next the next wave of adoption um, in this world that I think you and I both believe in for the for the long term. Um, you know, but what happens over the next twelve months? Right, fifteen years from now, that we don't have doubts, but over the next twelve months, it's it's harder to see. So I'm, I'd like to just kind of like get your opinion on on what you see, I feel like culture is one of the things that, that continues to drive. When I look out, I see Nike, you know, just, you know, just launching, you know, Starbucks making announcements, um, Amazon making moves, Instagram doing the drops that they're doing, which I, I don't know what you think of it, but I think it's, you know, super interesting that they have mm-hmm. this very simple buying experience that moves you into so like a, simple. a really liquid secondary, like what a great combo, you know, and, and I, I believe, my belief is that there's like, there's going to be a, a MySpace of this. And what I mean by that specifically is MySpace was early. It was ugly. Everyone on over 30 thought it was stupid. Everyone under 30 had to be there, right? So it's a, that is that place that, as you just said, to flex, right? Like, you know, it's basically a MySpace page. It's built from my wallet instead of, you know, from my hard drive. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you think of that thesis? And then you know, is that, is it your role to build part of that? Like, do you build these features for Moonbirds and then open them up to other collections? Like, how do you see your, your roadmap relative to that? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things. Uh, one, anything and everything we build, we try to open source. So even, even the most latest stuff that we did, we, we put it out there as open source so that others can build upon it. It's just so important for this ecosystem. Uh, that's a huge piece. Um, I think 12 months, uh, you know, looking forward 12 months is insanely difficult. Uh, I, I used to try and plan our product roadmap six months out and then down to three months and then say, okay, three months sounds good, but let's just actually look 30 days out because things are changing just so rapidly. It's it's pretty insane. So um, that that has all gotten compressed. I would say uh, in terms of the way what I think is going to happen is I, we're seeing the adoption happen on two ends of the spectrum. You have the the really um, easy, you know, Instagram end, which is just, a, it's a beautiful flow. It's simple. You don't even have to, I mean, yes, you can, can connect your wallet, but you, you don't really need to know what NFTs are. And I think that when you see celebrities and others dropping photographs, or I think it's gonna be great for pho- photography NFTs, 
uh, of collections of 1,000 or 5,000 at low price points, it's going to get a lot of people understanding and engaging and interacting and collecting, right? Similar and even bigger, much bigger than what Reddit did, where you didn't even have to know it was an NFT to kind of collect it, right? Yeah. So I, I think that is going to be a huge win for the space on the kind of like consumer, mass consumer end. But also, I think equally as important is is just an insane, the really high end of, in this market as well. So, you know, Danvis is the first frame that I've seen. I'm not an investor. I'm not an advisor. But it's the first frame that I've seen where I'm like, damn, that makes the art look way better. Like, it doesn't look like a TV stuck on the wall. Like, it's right. actually, it looks like a real legitimate, I want this in my house. And it's a flex for the higher end art market. And I know, you know, there's some, I think it's Christie's and others are going to start using them. Um, we're going to see, you know, we've already seen the announcement that uh, uh, the MoMA and others are, are, are going to be supporting digital collections and having, you know, big areas of, of, of their, their, uh, their different various, uh, was the SF moment? It wasn't SF moment. I can't remember which one it was, but they're dedicating like floors to digital collections. So it, it's, it's starting to tip at the high end, which is also really exciting. Um, I think we're going to need both to, to, to win here. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, so we're working like what we do here internally at Moonbirds is like, yes, we want to do play nicely with the Instagrams and the others. Um, but we're also working with a lot of more traditional houses. So like the paces of the world or Gagosian or others and saying, Hey, you have artists that have yet to dabble in the NFT world oftentimes they can be a little bit scared and say, Hey, this sounds scammy. This sounds weird. Like, I don't, I'm not sure if I want to do this. Like, let us be that bridge for you. Not in a way that we want to make money off of you, but in a way that we think it it's a win for everyone to see these blue chip artists that the traditional world knows come over to this market. Because if that happens and that news gets out, then you unlock the people that are sitting at the traditional Sotheby's and Christie's auctions. And those pocketbooks are deep, right? And so that brings a ton of liquidity and buyers to the NFT stage, which I, I'm pretty excited about as well. So I think I think we have to do all of the above. You know what you know what's interesting is you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, wait, there's so much unlocked um, you know, liquidity opportunity. Just just, you know, I think that let me give you my my thesis here. I'm curious what you think. Because if you think about the both things you just said, that kind of the Instagram side of things, which I totally agree with, because you know, you think about all you've already got a market of basically um people who are fans of art and artists, right? And you know, and also many of them are not artists, many of them are influencers or whatever, to your point about, you know, it could be anything, right? You've got an influencer, an influencer has followers, those followers might want to collect something from that influencer. Mm -hmm. Those people might not be NFT collectors. I mean, in a way, it's totally obvious I'm an NFT collector, I'm a vinyl collector, right? So you know, it's not a big jump, but for a, the, the normal person, it might be a $1 or $2 or $5 thing from someone that they follow and love right. on Instagram, right? Exactly. And, that, and you see that marketplace already exists. That person owns nothing digitally at the moment, but you could imagine them like making the flip you know, really, really quickly. So that's a huge market, right? Yeah, but yep. Ian, this is, this is the comic book market all over again. I mean, as kids... We were going and buying, you know, early copies of Wolverine for five bucks. And then all of a sudden, a year later, they'd be worth 50 and we'd be pumped, right? Exactly. And so, like, that's going to happen all over again on Instagram. But at a much bigger scale. Right. right. That's that's the thing that I'm that I'm kind of feeling. You know, I, I remember someone saying once, you know, the, the the printing press didn't just change, you know, the way that we made books. It changed who could read. 
right? You know, there were, there were these knock-on effects, right? And I feel something here, like, you know, because the, the, the joke I always make about Instagram is like, I remember when in the 90s, you know, I would take pictures with the Ashika camera and get the, you know, photos beautifully developed so the yeah. five people who come to my apartment can see them, right? And, and then, like, but now, like, kids post on Instagram, and if they don't get 100 likes in an hour, they take it down. Like, the scale is just totally yeah. different, right? And that's what feels different to me between comic books and this, is that, right. you know... You know, at LVMH, I was always looking at, you know, who are these influencers and who are the people who follow them? And the amazing thing is, you know, you'd look at a brand like an LVMH brand on YouTube and the number of followers it has. And then there's some influencer in the same space that you've never heard of who has an order of magnitude more followers. Right. Mm. You know, so, you know, you've got the person who talks about Christian Dior lipstick Right. has an order of magnitude more followers than Christian Dior lipstick. And the kind of one is like, you know, a, a, a household name and right. the other one isn't right. Well, so that's a hundred percent. This is like when Jay-Z did the, um, the song about Tom Ford, right? Exactly. And everyone was like, who the hell's Tom Ford? And then it was like, all of a sudden you're like seeing Tom Ford underwear and everything everywhere. And you're like, Oh shit, he just blew that brand up. Right. <laughs> exactly. So you've got this like cultural touch point. And then at the other end, you're, you're, you just got, to me, you just described both ends of where all of this, like this pop could come from. That was really my question is like, what, where, where does the, where do the next wave of users come from? And I think if you look at just these two things, I agree with you. One is, you know, something like Instagram. And the other is, you know, these, I mean, the, part of the reason that I'm such a big believer in generative art and the thing that tipped me over was, was realizing the craft and then talking to, you know, my friends at, at, at LVMH and my friends in the art world and, and realizing they didn't see it yet. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and where I was like, oh, well, this is definitely craft and it's underappreciated. So, OK, mm -hmm. I know what happens. Like ultimately, you know, humans love stories. Stories get told again and again. And like, you know, awareness grows, value grows. Um, you know, I guess the, the thing that I'm really curious about is, is it really Instagram who breaks this open or it might be. is there a MySpace? Right. Is there, you know, does um, DECA come from behind? Not from behind, come from nowhere is the, is the way to put it. And even you and I are surprised. Or is there something you guys are working on that, that, that kind of competes in that space? I just, I just don't think we have the eyeballs, right? Like we, ha we have the hardcore collectors. And so, yes, if, I, if we wanted to go out and create a, a, the most beautiful, you know, way to display your NFTs, um, we could absolutely do that. Like that, and, and, and there would be a lot of hardcore high-end collectors that would use that. Most likely what I would do, honestly, is just build an Apple TV app and allow people to use their existing hardware to go and display it in beautiful ways. You guys should do that at Ledger, to be honest. That'd be amazing. Um, but I, I just, you know, how do you compete with, with the mass market that is that is Instagram and the millions of users that they have there? Because if they unlock something, if, if a Kardashian goes out and says, here's 10,000 of this picture of me and it will disappear once it's been sold out, like that is just like you, that goes in f 10 seconds, right? Yeah, and they exactly. could do that all day long for weeks and months. And it would just <laughs> it's turning it. What it is, is that there's going to be we're already doing this. People are paying for OnlyFans, right? And it's adult content. And it's because it's stuff you can't see anywhere else. And it's stuff from people that you want to see. Um, and yeah, I know all people don't want to see, I'm just generalizing here. Sure. Um, but it's, 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 it's a paid membership to exclusive things that, that you have to have access, you have to pay for to have access from people you want to see. And there's a lot of that stuff that is not adult content 
that could be captured as NFTs that I just think Instagram's going to crush at. If if they if they decide to truly put their foot on the gas here and push it, right? Is it going to be a feature that just sits on the sidelines and they test out? Or is it something where they're really going to work with some celebrities to really push this stuff mainstream? No, I agree. And it, and it seems like there's definitely a, a cohort at, at Instagram, which really gets it. I mean, they, they seem to kind of have the supply and demand mechanic, right? I think you're right. You know, I mean, there's it's tough at Facebook overall. So I hope that the, the teams can keep their foot on the gas. But how amazing would it be um, you know, I was, I was joking with a friend at Instagram. I was like, man, I, I hope that you guys make a lot of money here. I wish you were taking a rev share and getting the attention of the senior execs right. because your existing business model is a crime against humanity. You steal right. people's attention and sell it to someone else. Now, the reason I loved working at LVMH was the entire investment thesis is we back creativity with operational efficiency, right? So imagine if Instagram became a platform instead where, um, you know, it was about a value exchange between artists and, and patrons of the arts, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that, that's actually, I mean, I would be happy to get out of bed every morning and, and, you know, and work at that just like I was, you know, at, at LVMH. So I think there's a, a huge opportunity. And I guess that's also why it's my question, because they have a legit innovators dilemma. You know, they can definitely do, you know, what we described because they have already got all of these people connected to creators, right? So when they turn on, like you, you described the Kardashian thing, it just works. And mm -hmm. I think what's amazing is it seems like the team that's working on it, they're, they're experienced. Like these are people who live through Libra, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, and they've made really smart design choices, you know, in terms of easy primary and liquid secondary, super smart, right? Um, you know, but I also think, I also know how this works. It's rare that, you know, the leader continues to be the leader. Like in my career, I watched Microsoft try to be AOL. I watched AOL try to be Yahoo. I watched Yahoo try to be Google. I watched Google try to be Facebook. And you know what I mean? Right. And oh, I mean, this is going to happen again. I, I heard the other day a rumor that uh, Amazon's going to be launching an empty marketplace soon. Like legitimately, they're working on that now, which is yeah. like it was, came from a pretty valid source. And I was like, same, well, same. I, I, heard the, I heard the same. I heard the same rumor exactly. Now there is something interesting there, which is that um, think about like what Starbucks is doing relative to Amazon, right? So Starbucks, you know, has just taken kind of the and, and this actually is a, a question I wanted to ask you. Um, you know the the wallet. My belief is the wallet is going to play a pretty important role in the future of humanity. Right. You know, the, and that ultimately your passport will be a digital document. And the way that you move borders is you prove that you are the owner of the wallet that contains that document. Right. Mm -hmm. um, OK, so how do we get wallets into the hands of people? If you look at what Starbucks doing, they're just going, oh, you've got a Starbucks account. Guess what? It's a wallet. Right. Right. You know, and, and there's, That's what there's a doing, too. Right. Yeah, well, kind of. Instagram is actually having wallet, you connecting your wallet, which is super interesting, which is kind of the wrong way around in a way. It's the, it's a great on-ramp, but the right way is I connect my wallet and that is actually my login, but we're not there. We're not going to be right. there for a number of years. Um, and, you know, if you, and, but we all have an Amazon account, right? right? And so if the Amazon account is just a wallet and that's a Trojan horse, um, there's actually a company here in, in Paris, which is doing this white label. They're kind of doing the Starbucks thing, you know, white label. So they turn your, whatever your, um, you know, I'm, this isn't someone they work with, but the idea is you, you've got a Best Buy account, your but you know, and your Best Buy account becomes your wallet. Right. And that's mm -hmm. just, they power that in a white label way. So I guess, you know, the, the, you know, you can, to me, I'm starting to see how it happens. You know what I mean? How does, because what I remember in 2000, 2001, there were tons of people who thought, yeah, the internet was a fad and I don't, I'm not going to need it. It's for nerds. 
I'm not going to need an email address. Right. And th those people like basically couldn't file their taxes without an email address, you know, in 2022. Right. I feel the same way right now. There's a whole yeah. bunch of people that are like crypto's a fad or worse. It was a scam. I'm, it's never going to be a part of my life, you know, and those people aren't going to be able to move borders without a wallet in the, in the near term. Right. And, and people like Starbucks and Instagram and Amazon are probably going to be the ones that, that onboard many, many of them. Right. Right. Well, yes. And I think that that's exactly right. And, it, and it's going to, there's going to be a two tiered system. There's, there's going to be uh, an Amazon account, an Instagram account, a Twitter account, whatever has your low value NFTs associated with them. The same way you'd carry around a physical wallet. You're not going to carry your life savings in your physical wallet on your person. Correct. Like that would just be ridiculous, right? But you that 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 so that will be your basic authentication. You hopefully you have two factor enabled, all that stuff. It's centralized. Who cares? There's a few hundred dollars worth of NFTs. It's a few comic books, whatever it may be, worth of value, right? Sure. And then at some point, you sit there and say, "Damn, there's too much in my wallet. How do I move this to something that's that's safer, that's more secure?" And that traditionally that would be banks, right? And in your case, for us, like it's our ledgers, right? So. I have a feeling that there's going to be, I mean, it's the, the idea of a hot wallet and, and more colder storage, right? But it, it seems to me that's the way we're going with like centralized places like the Amazon and Instagram will allow us to collect in a centralized way. But thankfully, because they are built on Polygon and other technologies that we all embrace and it's not a centralized tech, we can just move them away when they become high value assets that we want to further protect. And that, that to me is the amazing thing is that layer of abstraction. Right. And that's what I think is so interesting about the Instagram solution. And when I saw it, why well, I went, oh, wow, because what happened, somebody bought me a friend because I'm, I'm in France. So I, it's actually the Instagram feature is actually not available to me yet. Um, so a friend, um, you know, bought me one of the drops and then was able to instantly send it to me. Right. So, so cool. you, you buy it with fiat, but you've got that layer of abstraction. Right. It's actually on, you know, the the public blockchain. Right. It's not in the AOL version, right? I mean, I think of kind of like NBA top shots as like the right. AOL of, right. of, of crypto, right? It's like, it's just like, you know, it's the bumpers in the, in the bowling alley. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, the, the, the level of value you get when you, when, you know, when you're, when you're really on, on, um, on the public blockchain is so much greater that I think that also provides an incentive for people, um, to be there. And then, well, now you're really into self custody, um, it's funny because when, you know, when the FTX like custodied NFT product launched last year, I was like, oh man, maybe, maybe that, maybe there will be kind of, you know, more of a, a custodian way of doing it. But I think now we know, you know, it's kind of like been fully exposed. You're like, no, no, no. If not self-custody, you know, why crypto, right? Why, you know, why have this? We do have this layer of abstraction now that we didn't have in the past. You know, we have these magic safes, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have that. We've never had a magic safe before. Um, so it does, it does actually change, um, the way you want to store and own anyway. Thank you so much, man. And really, I'm, I really, I'm really so curious about what you guys are building. That's why I, I really wanted to, to, to talk to you. I appreciate you sharing. I guess the, you know, the, the question I'm still left with, um, is I'm, I'm trying to, I'd love if you could just, you know, finish up by giving me a sense of like the scope of what you have in mind with proof and moonbirds. Like, yeah. is it really, you know, like, you know, you know, you don't know what it looks like in, in 12 months, but like, what, what is it you're trying to build here? Yeah. Well, I, I think you're right. We don't know what it's going to look like in 12 months. And, and we, we have these internal debates around how far out in the future we should be planning. But I can tell you that the hope with moonbirds is that 
we will do things in a way that, you know, we're, we're never going to grow as a project and we're never going to be a massive, you know, top two PFP project by following someone else's playbook. So, you know, I, we, we fluctuate. I think we're like top, definitely the top five at this point, PFP project in terms of like uh, volume and, and all of that floor price and all that stuff. But uh, we, we, we want to continue to add to our kind of lore and uh, our collectability and create these unique moments, both in terms of culture and also in terms of technology stack and what we build around them so that we can hit this, this world that very, it's rarefied air that is called projects that really require no external dependencies, meaning they don't need any more airdrops. They don't need any more anything because they have cemented themselves in time as something important um, that, you know, I would say only a couple have actually done. Like, you know, CryptoPunks is an example. They would never have to do, a, they, they've never done an airdrop. They, they don't need to ever do an airdrop. Yeah. They are who they are. They're the OGs. They're, they're collectible for that reason, right? Correct. CryptoPunks you know, are the Beatles. Yeah, they're done. They're like they're cemented themselves in 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 time, and and they're they're legends. So, um, board apes, you know, had they not done the, they're tied a lot to a lot of things that they're trying to pull off. But um, even if all of those failed, I would say they created such a, a momentum around who they are that there would be some value there for sure, right? For like sure, just yeah, just because of the cultural moments that they've had. We we've yet well, to the way break I always through. put that is there's a point at which we all buy in, right? right? There, there's you know there's a there's a you know everybody has exactly. a price. Every yeah exactly it's never going to go to zero right. Exactly. We, we all know that they've they've done something special here to where we'd all buy in. So we we at Moonbirds hope to do things that are unique and novel, not using someone else's playbook that create both moments and that 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 permeate mass culture. And also, wow, people on the technical side. And if we can do that another dozen times over the next few years, I think we have a shot at breaking into that, you know, those top tier kind of like, wow, they, they've done something special here um, where they can kind of live and breathe on its own. So that, that's exciting for us. And we've got a lot of exciting tech to build around that. Um, uh, I would say that we are very much interested in, in creating tools that support artists um, tools that enable unique and novel drop mechanics that have never been done before. Uh, so you'll see more of that coming out from proof. And so that is what um, really, I, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of things on our team, uh, certainly on the design side, but also we have some of the best smart contract engineers in the world. And I, I really want to leverage them to do amazing things. Um, you know, we put the entire Moonbirds collection on chain for less than one ETH. And traditionally that's a 40 or 50 year plus or even greater ETH uh, spend to put a 10,000 collection on chain. And we open source that entire compression engine. And so it's like, there's there's a lot of stuff that I know that we can build that will hopefully help shape the industry. And that's the the fun stuff that we're working on. And I think that's gonna benefit artists and collectors at the same time. And that's the flywheel. Cause you've got proof, which is, which is you know a, a place for collectors. You have Moonbirds, which is a leading PFP project. You build tools for artists that propel the space forward, builds the value of the space, builds the value for your collectors, builds the the, the value, you know, both for the collectors in the in the proof community, and for the collectors of uh, of, of Moonbirds. Um, amazing. 
How do you, okay, one final almost trick question, um, a little cheeky. How do you, how do you pr- return value to A16Z? Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's you know, they're our, our largest uh, investor in terms of capital in. I think there's uh, a, a number of ways. I mean, they, they purchased equity, right? And they, they purchased two things. They purchased equity and they also have, like uh, all investors these days, they have a right to any type of future token offering that we would we would put out there. Um, you know, hopefully everything that we, what we get to eventually is a business model that is durable, that creates a real business here, that actually has real revenues and, you know, we're profitable and we can grow to a size where there is some type of, of liquidity and exit for them as investors. And so it's, it's a, more of a traditional model in that sense. Um, so, but, but the nice thing about A16Z is, you know, I mentioned the no, no board seat before they're insanely patient capital. They know that like this, they, they know exactly what you said at the beginning, where this is a new frontier and it's going to take time to figure this stuff out. And they want to back, you know, um, great founding teams and people that are willing to take on a lot of risk. And so the ask from them is go play, experiment, take on risk. And you'll figure it out. And and I love that, you know, and so that's that's kind of our mandate for the next few years. But, you know, great businesses, it turns out, even in Web3 aren't built in six months. So, totally. you know, this is this is a, a five plus year, 10 plus year kind of venture for me. And I'm I'm super excited because I, I don't know how you feel about this, Ian, like, but this is a finally I feel like I'm in a space where I just love it so much. And it's probably because I love the art and culture piece of it. And I'm going to Basel next week and super pumped for that. But it's just like if it's such a fun space to build in, it doesn't feel like work. So when I joke, I, I, it's not joking. When I when I say on podcasts and things that I'm here for the next five plus years, going to continue building, I mean it because it's just it's it's too damn fun to walk away. Um, I, I just want to keep building the space, and that's what I'm I'm pumped for. No, I, I I totally agree. I mean, this is like I feel like my my whole like life and career has been leading to this, right? I had yeah. no idea that like being a record collector from the age five, and then a you know, and then a skateboarder, and and then studying computer science, you know. But it, it just it feels like totally natural. Like I feel oh, like a, dude, a fish in water. I mean, you know? I was a a baseball card collector, comic book collector. You know, the CEO of Hodinkee for a few years. I mean, all the stuff that I've been doing has kind of led me to this moment. So that's I'm, right. I'm, you know, I, the Hodinkee thing is a is a is really a great touch point. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, two things. I know we 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 both need to go, but um, it's such a great touch point. I did an interview, a podcast interview for Tagura yesterday, um, and. I love that, you know, Frederick Arnault and I had breakfast beginning of last year and, you know, Frederick's running tag, tag you now, but his, his quote to me, and I, I asked his permission if he minded, if I, I said this publicly and he said he was, it was fine, but he just very flatly said, board apes and Richard Meal are the same thing. You know, he's and, and I said, oh, okay, say more. He's like, well, they have about the same number of holders you know, kind of 7,000 ish holders mm-hmm. you buy for one twenty five, you flip for two fifty, right? Remember this is like beginning of last year that, that, that he was telling me this. Um, if I see you with the board ape as your PFP, I know you're part of the, the, the tribe. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, if I see you in a restaurant and you're wearing a Richard meal, I know you're, you're part of the tribe. And I said, yeah. okay, so now the magic question, like if LVMH was going to buy Richard meal, you know, what, what's the price, you know, a couple of billion. All right. So, or same order of magnitude of what, um, you know, Yugo was raising at, at the time. And I was like, wow, that, that comparison really blew me away. But I think there's yeah. a lot 
to it. So yeah, you're right. A comic book collector dig. So there's your your community side. Um, you know, Have Hodinkee, you ever tried a Richard Meal on, by the way? Never, never. They're the lightest watches you'll ever put on your wrist. They're amazing. Innovate like they're just beautiful pieces of art. It's it's insane. I, I don't own any of them, but I've always been like every time I try one on, I was like, wow, these are these are. These you you got to get one of these tags. You can put. I mean, I've got. I'm wearing I Alien. I saw Queen. that you can put the NFT face on there. That is so. I'm wearing cool. Alien Queen today. <laughs> um, I, I I need to get one of those for sure. I, I change it. I change it every day. Um, but yeah, it's like I, I I really I feel it. We're all we've all kind of you know moved to the same space. The one thing on the A16Z point too, the other thing is they are so broadly invested in the space that if mm-hmm. you guys bring the whole space up, that's there's value in that alone for them. Exactly. Because right? they're, they're so they're so broadly invested in the ecosystem. Right. They're like an if, index fund of it. Exactly, basically. exactly. And if you guys are are pushing the whole space forward, then that's that's beautiful for them too. So man, it's great. I love being in this in this space with you. So yeah, thank you. Same. Well, I mean, I remember you in the LVMH days and I was just like, we, we never really got a chance to hang as much as we do now, obviously. And you're so busy doing your thing. And I was busy doing Hodinkee and whatnot. And, uh, and so now it's so nice to cross, cross paths every every few weeks. It's I know it should have been Marfa. It should have been bright moments. It should be, uh, you know, it, it should be Miami next week and Paris the week after. But, you know, we're, we're, we're busy. We got families. We got kids. That's right. We got, you know, we're, we're lots of juggle. And we're building. Cool, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks, Ian. All right. I'll see you soon. That's it. A fascinating conversation with a lot of insights between Kevin Rose and Ian Rogers. If you've enjoyed it, please hit that subscribe button and help us help you get more of that. This was Under Ledger from Paris with your host, Mo Saeed. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion, and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.